Leads, leads, leads. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, a show about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. I want to speak to 1,000 loiners over the course of what I vaingloriously believe is the most important decade in the history of the human species, and I want to ask those loiners about what they do all day and hear how they feel about it all. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. What was it that you wanted to be when you grew up? So at first, I wanted to be an architect um, because I was really interested in how buildings looked and how they were laid out. But I realized that I couldn't draw, so I looked at other things and realized I quite enjoyed writing and watching the news as a kid. So um, I was looking into journalism and eventually, you know, I'd uh, go on to study journalism at uni. Uh, didn't get me the uh, result I wanted, but thought, you know, the degree would be handy for other jobs. And um, of course, uh, doing what I do now, I think the journal, what I learned from the degree and attempts at doing freelance work has, you know, come in really handy. So, yeah, so did the journalism degree help then in the end? Uh, it did, you know, it taught me about things like the six W's, you know, who, what, where, when, why, and how, which is technically only five W's, but has <laughs> a W in it. Um, I learned about, you know, things like shorthand and keeping things clear, you know, where to put facts in and yeah. You know, that's, you know, helped to shape, you know, how I write things like blog posts, uh, press releases and so on. Yeah. Also so, things about design and um, even, even little bits about photography. Yeah. And, and layout and yeah. You're listening to series three, episode six, and my guest, Luke Aylward. This is another Zoom interview recorded on the 19th of January, 2022. Evening comrades. Luke Alwood is the Communications and Network Officer and Autism Information Officer for the Advonet Group, a Leeds-based advocacy charity. He has worked with them for over five and a half years. He is autistic and has, like many others, spent the majority of the pandemic working from home. You can find out more about Advonet at advonet.org.uk. So what is it that you're, you're doing now then? So I am a Communications Officer. Um, I'm communications and network officer for a charity in Leeds called the Advernet Group. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that's not the only role I have for that organization. I'm also the information officer for their Leeds Autism AIM service. Mm-hmm. And for a little bit of the week, I'm also information officer for their new Yorkshire Autism AIM project, which is similar, but uh, does a few different things. Okay. So that's a lot of roles and is that all fitted into the space of one week or different times of the month yeah so all in one week so uh how how did you get into that like um i mean which which role did you take on first uh the first role was actually the information officer role for the uh leads autism name service so i um how i got into that was um you know at the time um which was uh late 2014 i was working as a senior content writer for a digital marketing agency in Leeds, I was interested in volunteering because, you know, I wasn't feeling too fulfilled in my role. You know, I was looking at, I was thinking about quitting every other day. Yeah. Or maybe volunteering would help, you know, make my life a bit better and, you know, being able to help others, you know, less fortunate than myself. Um, I heard about this, um, new service that was going to be set up here for autistic adults. 
being autistic myself, I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And, um, I heard about what it was planning on doing, which was, um, you know, running a weekly drop-in hub where autistic adults could come in and get, you know, support with uh, things like advocacy, mm. you know, get information and get signposted to useful services and, you know, maybe get peer support or even access men, even get a mentor, you know, to help them to overcome any, uh, any, um, obstacles and achieve life goals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And from there, you know, um, you know, I'd volunteer, you know, I'd go down to a four day working week so I could fit in the volunteering. So, um, you know, just as aim was starting to get noticed, um, sort of around the autumn of 2015, I decided to quit my, uh, job with the digital marketing agency. So I was, I wasn't like I said before, I, I was unhappy and mm-hmm. answered giving a freelance, uh, content work to go with, um, mm-hmm. in freelancing, I had more time to focus on the volunteering side at the time. I'd also become vice chair of a charity called Leeds Asperger adults, mm-hmm. um, you know, which ran, which is led by autistic adults. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was freelancing, you know, I didn't get as much freelance work in, but I got enough into cover the bills and was also given, you know, a bit of, um, you know, some sessional, sessional work with mm. a, you know, to do things like newsletters and posters and what have you and run their Facebook page yeah, and even set up a Twitter account. And I think that's what led to me, um, being offered a part-time role with AIM, which yeah. I gladly accepted because it was regular income. Yeah. So, um, you know, as I was doing sessional work for AIM, you know, uh, they really liked it. And, mm-hmm. uh, when a vacancy came up, you know, cause a bit, a bit more funding was in place for, for the service, um, they offered me the, um, role of information officer, which was initially for eight hours a week and mm-hmm. because freelance, you know, cause it was regular income and it was a chance to do yeah. like for a living doing something good. I, I accepted it. Yeah. Um, about snowballs into 15 hours when, uh, one of my colleagues left, um, for another role, um, which meant I was able to do more things like help run groups and yeah and our, and our uh, drop-in hub and you know you know create more resources and you know i thought you know i'm happy with it i was just hoping that i'd get enough freelance work on top of that you know away from that role to you know pay the bills so when you were doing the the freelancing like how did you do that did you have to set yourself up as a sole trader or become a company or something or you were just how did you organize it so what I did was set up a separate business account, a separate mm-hmm. business bank account, but I ended up not really using it, um, in the end. So it just, you know, worked out, you know, from a bank statements, what I've got paid and, you know, and, uh, you know, kept account of that. It wasn't that much I was getting, but, you know, cause I'd mm-hmm. saved quite a bit, you know, I was able to, you know, sign myself over it. Yeah. And some of the work I got was quite regular. You know, I, I did some work for a, uh, for an agency in Harrogate, you know, just writing sort of SEO content. So it's contents that are, you know, basically just, you know, have links to, um, brands, uh, websites in, you know, using keywords, yeah. key phrases. So, you know, I did all I could to make them, you know, read us authentic, read, you know, read authentically, you know, and you know, they worked, you know, cause I had quite a bit of experience doing that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you, you, you've just taken the skills that you've already already got from the previous roles and just applying that to something different. So 
how did the other roles come about then? So uh, the communications and network officer role, uh, that was advertised internally in early 2018. This was after, you know, the, the Abinant Group, the charity I worked for was, um, you know, awarded a new five-year contract to deliver um, certain advocacy services in Leeds. And mm. part of a new contract, they offered 25 hours a week for a communications officer. And, mm. you know, I was encouraged by some colleagues to apply because you know, freelance work wasn't coming in as regularly as I'd, I'd liked it to, mm. but why not go for it? And so I did an, uh, you know, um, you know, in March of that year, I, I had, I interviewed for it and I got the job and, mm. uh, from April, 2018 to the present day, I've been in that role and, you know, I think I've done all right. I've done what I can to get, um, the Appnet group's name out there. You know, I think it has worked, you know, we've steadily grown on Twitter and Facebook followings and, you know, we've been in, we've been in the press for a few times. People know more about what it is we actually do. The sign that I'm doing. Okay. How much are you doing the same stuff now as you were before in the job that you didn't like? Are you, is it just that you're, you now feel those skills are more meaningfully applied or are you getting to do different things? Are you sort of, um, do you have more autonomy in the role now that you're you're working in these businesses rather than the previous business. I'd certainly say I have more autonomy because I'm the only person that does communications work. That's the main part of their role. And I'm also able to do more things than just write content. I'm looking after the website. I'm looking after all the social media accounts, uh, producing some internal communications stuff. So, you know, things like, um, you know, a uh, wiki in Microsoft Teams that's got, you know, all sorts of information about, you know, COVID restrictions and support that's available for people in uh, vulnerable groups and marginalized communities. You know, I'm using tools I've never, never thought I'd used before, like Eventbrite and MailChimp, you know, and I've gained, you know, even, you know, in the past couple of years, I've been editing videos and as well, you know, even, you know, delivering internal training for, you know, how things like how to use Twitter and mm. uh, more recently how to use WordPress and MailChimp, you know, and, mm. you know, to give more people skills, you know, in case, you know, I, in case, you know, I ever leave my job or for moth sick, you know. Yeah. Sounds like you're kind of learning and adding new skills with this roles be because you need to sort of go into new avenues and cover new areas. So you sort of. Are you getting more skills through doing this then than you were previously? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'd, I'd have ever learned to use MailChimp or any other sort of automated email software, you know, if I was still a content writer. Mm. Of course, uh, the uh, company I used to work for, um, they're no longer in business because uh, they were overtaken, they were taken over by a bigger company and, you know, it became the lead branch of that company and I think they uh, closed it down. Uh, was last was either last year or the year before. I think it was the year before, mm. but very sad. What are the things that you enjoy about the role that you're doing now? Um, I think creating resources and you know putting out information that people will find useful. So um, one example of that is updating our uh, our website. Um, we uh, recently uh, you know um, redesigned it. You know working with an agency based in Bradford. We've done a really good job with it. And 
making sure it's more accessible, that it's easier to make a referral to our service, having uh, things like news and social media uh, more visible, making sure all the content on each page, uh, pages for each service reads well. It's, you know, that's, that's been quite good. And I've also, you know, created some self-advocacy resources, you know, uh, documents that people can use to help, to help them speak up for themselves. You know, uh, they've been downloaded more than 5,000 times since we, uh, put them on the website, um, the old website, uh, in the uh, middle of last year. Now, actually it was the middle of the year before, but you know, some, you know, stuff like that's really, you know, that's really fulfilling and I suppose helping, um, helping some of my colleagues to, you know, build skills themselves, whether it's, you know, if we're using tools or, you know, learning how to, um, use technology like teams and zoom. I remember at the beginning of beginning of the pandemic, um, a lot of my colleagues were struggling with, you know, working from home and knowing how to do certain things in teams, but, um, I'd actually had a play around with it, um, a couple of months before then, and that to be really useful. Um, so, you know, I'd show up, you know, whenever people had a question, you know, I'd answer it and say, you know, this is how you can set up a start a chat. This is how you can make a file shareable. This is where the wiki is, you know, helping people to help themselves. Yeah. Which is, you know, kind of your role all over, isn't it? Oh yeah. I think that's probably a good segue to go into COVID and lockdown. Take us through going into lockdown and sort of how that changed work, um, for you and what, what it meant for you for your actual work day to day. So how has that been? Are you, are you sort of back to normal or has work been permanently changed? I would say work has changed because I don't see nearly as much of my colleagues face to face as I would normal, I would have, as I did before COVID. Um. I mean, fortunately, you know, um, I worked from home before doing free, doing my freelance content work that helped to set me up, uh, when I was asked to work from home because I'm clinically extremely vulnerable. I was told by my line manager, uh, you know, to start working from home. And that was a few days before the first lockdown began. Yeah. I had like a few days head start on everyone else. In addition to my experience of working from home in previous roles, um, the main changes, you know, aside from not seeing people face to face, um, I'm able to, you know, have more control over my working environment, you know, choose whether or not to have lights on the curtains up, you know, I don't have to commute, you know, which is a big plus because the commute, you know, before the commute, um, you know, when I first started to, you know, when the, you know, uh, at the time the first lockdown would take maybe an hour each way. Yeah. Where I lived in Leeds, uh, to, to our office at the, our office at the unity business center, at the bottom of Roundy road mm. since, well, middle of last year, I actually moved to, uh, I've actually moved to Bradford and the commute does take a lot longer. Um, yeah. the last time I went to the office, which was nearly two months ago, um, it took me three and a half hours bearing back. Yeah. Um, that's a long time. Yeah, um, a lot of it is down to how bad public transport is, mm. um, but you know, also the buses were crowded and. I, I mean, how do you find like working from home? How do you find that sort of separation? Do you find, uh, I, I mean, 
do you have a separate space to work in or are you, you just work in living is all in the same space? Well, um, my, uh, sort of home office is in, you know, is part of the, um, it's part of my living room, but it's in a corner. So it's a bit mm. separate from everything yeah. else. And, um, um, I don't have any problems separating work from home. You mm. know, I know when I'm meant to start, I know when I'm meant to finish. Yeah. Are you quite good at finishing on time? Do you sort of work your hours or do you tend to sort of overwork or? It depends on how much I've got to do. Um, yeah. it's not too busy, you know, I work my normal hours, but sometimes, you know, because I want to get stuff done, I might work a little over my hours. Yeah. Or, you know, if I've got a group I'm running, uh, in my aim, in my mm. daughter's main role, I will take those hours. Mm. I mean, how did that sort of initially affect you when you first went into working from home and went into lockdown, were you doing a lot more work? Was there a lot less work because everything was canceled or was it loads of work canceling everything? Like how, how did it go and has it evened out now or is it, you know, sort of more or less work now than it was before? I'd say there was more work. It's part of my role, you know, I've got to make sure that all the relevant, you know, I've got to make sure that useful information about, you know, what, what services we offer and what what the restrictions are is put out there and quite a few big pieces of work were, you know, started around, you know, not long after the, you know, lockdown began, mm. uh, one of which was to create a, uh, toolkit of resources for, for our former, our leads or to some service. And mm. these are like self-advocacy tools, you know, things that people could use to plan, you know, plan routines and, you know, communicate their needs and all sorts of things like that. And, you know, that proved to be really useful, but, you know, I did end up working quite a bit over my hours for that. And mm. there was also setting up the COVID-19 res- uh, wiki of resources in teams that, that took up quite a bit of my time as well, but I wanted to make sure it was ready so that, you know, some of the people we work with, as well as, you know, our clients as well, and members as well as, you know, my colleagues had all the information to hand and, mm. You know, if people were confused about what they could and couldn't do under lockdown, you know, yeah, what was available, they'd be able to get it right away. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, initially, because the information, well, I mean, the information is always changing all the time, but, you know, <laughs> writing and rewriting advice. So that probably would have been a lot of work initially. Oh, yeah. Um, it has evened itself out a bit. Um, but I think there's going to be another lot of information coming out because... Um, if you've seen the news today, which is, uh, Wednesday, the 19th of January, in case you're listening in the future, all plan B restrictions are going to be going to end soon. So, mm. um, including, including mask wearing. So that's something, um, I'm going to be, uh, trying to put out to, um, to, to colleagues and, uh, to, to my clients. Mm. Should we go a little bit into autism then and sort of. Like how it affects you, how it affects your role, how it plays into what you're doing and, and how it would affect other people and what you're doing to kind of help alleviate any of those detrimental effects. Well, being autistic, I'm not so great with people and, you know, I do experience things like sensory overload and information overload. So, um, I can feel a bit you know, stressed or anxious if I get a lot of emails from, from colleagues, you know, in the of like you know, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it can be hard to know which one to prioritize. Um, 
if someone's not communicating clearly with me, you know, asking, you know, what would like from me, um, that can be hard to decipher. Um, uh, what else? I mean, um, you know, there are times, you know, when, um, you know, I want to be left alone to do it, left to my own devices to, you know, just get on with the job. And when I'm getting, you know, a message on teams or an email or something like that, you know, that can be quite distracting, but you know, it's not all bad, you know, um, being autistic, I know how to be, you know, clear and honest with people, you know, like be handy in communications work, you know, the way I think, you know, many of us autistic people, you know, we think, you know, differently to non-autistic, but, and that can be quite, in some situations that can be quite advantageous. I have an ability to think, ability to think creatively and, you know, for example, when I'm, you know, working on thinking of, you know, new resources we can use to help clients. So, you know, I think back to the start of the pandemic, you know, the uh, weekly planner I did for AIM, you know, mm. was the daily planner as well. Those were ideas I had and, mm. um, they've proved to be, you know, very popular. I, I like to think of myself as fairly organized. So mm. when I'm at work anyway, and that's helped me to, you know, do things like set out, you know, um, what sort of tasks I need to do every week, you know, do a mm. weekly checklist, um, you know, every Sunday things I'm meant to do. Mm. I've been very good at sort of keeping up with my hours, you know, making sure I'm working them and also doing things like, um, monthly timetables for aims for the aim services, online, uh, zoom groups, you know, as far as that stuff's concerned, being autistic has been, has been really useful. Let's talk first about how it's affected your work in terms of, did you, did you have a diagnosis of being autistic before you started work or while yeah. you were in work? Right. So before you started work. Yeah, I was, I was diagnosed at a young age and being autistic, you know, at the time, uh, well, throughout my childhood, you know, a lot of people, you know, educate, you know, people, you know, people from schools and, mm. you know, assumed that, um, you know, I wasn't going to amount to much. I wasn't going to be able to, you know, independently hold down a job or, you know, own a house. Mm. It's worth mentioning that, um, not many autistic people are able to find work, able to get into work for numerous reasons. Um, one of them being, you know, discrimination, uh, a study that the national autistic society published a few years ago, uh, found that only one in six autistic adults of working age, uh, was in a full-time paid job. You know, Only six is incredibly low. Uh, I know it's, it's, it's shocking. And yeah. in the AIM service, you know, we have a lot of people come to us who are struggling to get into work and, you know, even those who are in work, you know, trying many of those in work will come to us, you know, they're wanting to, you know, more, you know, they're needing support to help communicate their needs when trying to make, to make their jobs more accessible and mm. you know, it's easier for them to work if you're in work you know trying to get reasonable adjustments isn't isn't the easiest thing in the world uh whether it's uh trying to access get funding for access to work to you know fund things like uh, online tools and you know ergonomic equipment noise cancelling headphones mm. in my old job with the, with the digital agency you know um i asked uh, if i could maybe work one day a week from home because i found working in an open office open plan up this space really overloading mm. the phones would go off constantly and there were quite a few of my colleagues were were probably still are quite loud mm. you know when people talk a lot of people were talking at once and 
phones are going off, people walking behind me constantly. Mm. I just really struggled to cope with that. So, you know, I asked if I could work a day week, a day a week at home. That was politely turned down and you know, there weren't many uh, quiet spaces to work in, in the office. So, mm. you know, I've had some experience of that myself. In terms of discrimination against people with disabilities in workplaces and people with autism and people with any sort of conditions where they're, you know, reasonable adjustments have to be made. I mean, do you think that's the major thing that puts off businesses is that they feel that they have to spend extra on the employee of, you know, making reasonable adjustments or. I think that's one of the reasons, but others, you know, include sort of misconceptions of what being autistic actually is mm. and what autistic people can do. Um, other reasons, um, let's think, I mean, um, you know, um, there are some things that autistic people struggle with, like, uh, maintaining eye contact and, you know, in some cases, mm. verbal communication and other forms of communication, but that's when, you know, some employers see that they automatically assume that that means they're incapable of doing jobs, but mm. that's not true. They, they just need to make adjustments to ensure that, you know, if, you know, the autistic person who wants to work for them or has applied for that job, applied for any of their vacancies, you know, is able to do that job, make those adjustments. Mm. You know, ask the person, you know, ask the person, you know, what adjustments they'd like, you know, mm -hmm. you know, if possible, help out with, you know, access, getting access to work funding or, you know, maybe setting up a quiet space. But the admin group in our office, we recently refurbished it and uh, there is actually a quiet room where, you know, where, you know, where there's dimmable lighting and blinds, mm. like, you know, shut. So, you know, it doesn't let any, it doesn't let any natural light in that you know, autistic staff can work in. Mm -hmm. that, that's the area of the office I've been working in, you know, since, you know, I started going back into the office um, last summer. I suppose it's a, a challenge because you kind of want to be back in the office to a degree to sort of interact with colleagues and catch up with them properly and have the actual, you know, sort of collegiate relationships. But then, you know, you've got the commute and you've got the going into the office and it, are they looking for a hybrid sort of thing or are they, is it just going to be you going occasionally? I don't think we've decided yet. I mean, there's been this week, we've actually been talking about, you know, um, you know, when it's safe to go into the office, you know, um, mm. something's going to be emailed to all staff next week, I believe. It's actually interesting you brought that question up because, um, uh, the chief executive, uh, Philip, he rang me this, this afternoon asking, you know, how comfortable I was with going into the office. Mm. I said, you know, it might, you know, you know, infection rates go down and, mm. you know, it might be that I feel more comfortable in going, but, you know, I'm going to give it maybe till the end of the next month, see what's, see what's what. And if it's safe, you know, I'll go maybe go in once a week. Yeah. I mean, have you been going in for sort of events? Are you running any face-to-face -face event? I'll say that again. <laughs> Are you running any face-to-face -face events at the moment? I mean, we kind of paused some of the face-to-face -face stuff in some of the other areas we work in, um, you know, recently due to Omicron, uh, but, uh, some of them are resuming, you know, I think, um, part of the reason for, you know, um, face-to-face -face stuff being face-to-face -face activities being stopped start is that, uh, you know, some of the staff have caught COVID, you know, from no fault. Yeah. Um, 
that's difficult to do that if um you know if you've got covid yeah. i haven't done any face-to-face uh work personally since the start of the pandemic um that's because a lot of my work can be done remotely in fact all my work can and you're at larger risk yeah exactly yeah and, you know it's it's riskier for me to go into the office than it is for most of most of my colleagues so uh we'll stay on the sort of you know 2020s hot political topic questions so has brexit affected your work at all or have you not been able to tell what with covid sort of happening at the same time um it hasn't affected my role too much but it has affected um some of the people we work with quite a few of our uh, clients who access our community advocacy service which is um you know single issue thing uh, single issue subjects like uh, accessing services benefits housing um making complaints um some of them are you know don't speak english as the first language are from countries like czech republic slovakia romania uh spain and and italy you know many countries that are part of the eu 27 and you know with brexit you know on the horizon you know with you know with um you know rules changing you know the transition period you know ending um you know they may have been wondering you know what 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 can they do you know in terms of accessing services you know gaining citizenship and you know both issues like that have come up um i believe for some of our clients and you know, also the issue of, the issue of, um, you know, their rights, you know, their rights to, you know, live and work in the country and you know, make a life here. Yeah. You know, they changed. And I mean, it, as well with the service, I mean, I, I suppose that's more of you updating lots of information, but also with the people that you're updating the information for, you, you need to, what am I trying to say here? But like you, you don't. Obviously it's a, a situation where things are changing a lot, which can be like a sensory overload of like, I don't know what to think, what's, what's happening minute to minute. I mean, that's going to be a difficult thing to kind of communicate out to an, you know, to an autistic audience of who want the information, but don't want to be overwhelmed. Have I said that in an okay way of like, does that make sense? I think so. Um, yeah, so. Um, yeah, in terms of like, you know, presenting information, um, so it's making sure it's in a, in an accessible format helps. Um, so on the Abinet group website, we've got a translation tool that translates into, you know, a number of community languages, you know, mm. including some of those I've mentioned, you know, Czech, Slovak, uh, Romanian, French, Italian, and Hungarian, you know, other languages can be added pretty quickly. Um. I mean, there are other ways of making information accessible depending on the audience. So, mm. um, so for clients with learning disabilities, you know, we try and use short sentences and where we can easy read images. This is, mm. this is something that a lot of other services in Leeds are doing, especially those who, whose primary client base is adults with learning disabilities. For autistic people, we try to use clear, concise language and you know, there are some principles for, you know, all, all audiences are trying to follow. Um, so for example, on a website, you know, if I'm writing a blog post, I'd make mm-hmm. sure not to use more than four lines per paragraph and mm-hmm. no more than 20 line, 20 words per sentence, 
try to avoid using jargon where possible and, you know, any, any imagery that uh, helps like easy read images or icons, they can come in handy for some of the resources I've made. Okay. So let's go on to climate change. So in terms of, um, climate change, what, what are the, what can you do in your work and what is your work already doing to sort of tackle it or reduce your impact or to do something else? So in my role, uh, don't print as much, um, sit obviously since, you know, since COVID began, I've not had to print anything like as much as I would normally do. Um, because you know, we're doing most of our stuff online, you know, it's just, you know, creating PD online versions instead. I know that uses electricity, but it doesn't use paper and ink as mm. well. So, you know, that's, a, that's one thing we're doing. Um, I suppose in work, you know, because pe most people working from home, they're not using, you know, the lights or, uh, you know, any other sort of electric, any sort of electrical outlets to charge the laptops up as much. Mm. I think other things we've looked at doing include, you know, maybe encouraging car shares and, you know, um, maybe I don't think there's much else we've done, but, um, you know, it's something, you know, but, um, something that we're looking at and mm. I think quite a few, quite a few of my colleagues are keen for us to do more and, you know, like mm. reduce printing, you know, recycle more, which we, we, we do, we do have a green bin in the office. Mm. You know, for all recyclables, so paper, card, uh, you know, uh, pop can, you know, empty cans of pop. I mean, is it mainly internal things or does it go into the sort of, I mean, does it come into the communications as well when you're communicating out, are you, I mean, do you do any press releases or anything around that area or? Um, I haven't done any press releases about, around, around climate change yet. Mm. Um. No, but, um, a lot of my colleagues, you know, me and a lot of my colleagues, you know, we're doing, you know, we're trying to sort of use this, this only print, only print when necessary. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe look at changing to a greener print, uh, uh, you know, but uses less, that uses less thing. So I'll move to the next question, which is the one on UBI. Um, I mean, I should do you. What would you change first? But I'll do the UBI first and then we'll come to the, what would you change? Um, so if you had a universal basic income, first of all, would you still work? Uh, secondly, would you still work in this job? <laughs> and then thirdly, if you wouldn't be working, what, uh, what would you be doing? Um, I would still work if I got the UBI. I mean, if, it depends how much the UBI is for, if it's like able to like com completely cover the cost of my cost of living. Yeah, I'm guessing it wouldn't. Um, but it depends how much they set it up. But I, I, I would want it to be like you know a good sort of decent wage. I mean, to be honest, I'd want it around the the UK average because if that's the average, then that's what it should be paying. <laughs> um, I probably still would work because you know I you know want to keep busy. You know, want yeah. to do and. Suppose working in the third sector, you know, I'm doing something that's actually useful, mm. helping some of my colleagues to do useful work, you know, like passing information on to their, to their clients, and, you know, running online groups to help reduce isolation. I mean, would it free up 
sort of more capacity for you as well? Do you think you would kind of, do you think you'd end up working more or do you think you'd end up working less hours? Would you kind of, I mean, because the roles you're doing, they're all things that you want to do that you're interested in doing. Would you try and balance out the amount of time that you give to each a bit more maybe, or do you think that'd change? I think I'd probably maybe go down to four days a week. So, that, you know, yeah. instead of working, you know, Monday to Friday, but Mondays, Monday to Tuesday, and then Thursday to Friday and have Wednesday off. Mm. Wednesday can be like a well-being day or maybe a day mm. used for volunteering, you know, doing something in, in the local community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, have you had any previous opportunity to kind of experiment with your work day and your work times? Like sort of what your optimal working is and how many days and how many days off and have you had much chance with that? Um, well, not in the current role, but well, like I said earlier in the form, in my old role. With the freelancer. Well, before then, you know, it's a, right. like a digital agency, you know, went down for four days a week and was able to volunteer, which has led me to where I am now. So. Um, go on, sorry. You know, was the fact that I was able to go down four days a week to fit in the volunteering was really useful and. Um, you know, I would look at doing something similar with that, you know, if I was only working four days a week and got UBI. Mm. But uh, do you think you'd end up volunteering on something else then and then taking something else on? <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> I mean, one idea I've had was, is to set up a social group for autistic adults in the Bradford area. Mm. Um, because there's nothing like that that's available for free. Mm. And there is, you know, there is a service called specialist autism services that work, you know, in the district to, um, you know, do run groups, but in order to access them, you'd have to, um, you know, get, uh, funding for your GP and, mm. you know, a lot of autistic owls wouldn't want to go through that because it's, you know, there's a lot of admin involved and, a lot of yeah. training and you, know, you know, for many people, a possibility that they might not get that funding and plus you know, that service might not be to their liking. Mm. So, you know, if at the time I'd look at setting something like that up. Yeah. Cool. Um, right. So I'll do the change questions, then we'll do social media. Uh, so if there were, so if you could change any three things about your work and this can be any or all of your roles, uh, what three things would you change? I think the first thing is to do less internal communications because I'm always worried about getting it wrong. Um, you know, some of my colleagues will understand, you know, what I've said, you know, yeah. plus I really don't like emailing people about, you know, what's going on, or, you know, all the time. Yeah. So and you get all the questions segment. back because you're now the expert on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I only know this. I've just told you what I know. I don't know what else I changed. Maybe. Maybe fewer meetings because I mean, one of the teams I'm in, we have meetings every week. Whereas mm. um, the other, the other, uh, one of the other, te the other team I'm in, um, you know, it's only like once a month, and mm. I mean, once a week, you know, it's nice to see, you know, see my colleagues, you know, albeit online. But I think um, you know, one meeting a week that's often running for hour and out over an hour, well over an hour, you know, is a bit much. Mm. You know, and time that I, you know, my want to use for other things like, you know, updating the website or, you know, creating a new resource or 
you know, um, something else, something else that, um, something else like maybe, you know, preparing for a group. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, is the, is it the kind of role where you have to squeeze everything into the hours that you've got, or are there enough hours in the day to do everything? It varies from week to week, but there are some weeks where it does feel like I have to squeeze everything in. Yeah. Yeah. But that's comms work as well, isn't it? Because you've always got some deadline for <laughs> press release or something. So social media wise, I, I mean, obviously you have to do a fair bit of social media work. I mean, more and more, it's becoming more part of people's roles. Um, so yeah, do you have to do all your own social media work? Are you do, doing everything social media for the roles that you're doing or, or are other people helping? How does it, how does it work? Um, so I'm like the main person for some of, uh, some of the Abinet group social media accounts. So the main one for the whole service, Leeds Autism is the main one, the Yorkshire Autism is the main one and one for another part of our service called Change, which uh, provide, produces easy read, accessible information. Those other things like trade around, you know, the rights of disabled people, some project work. I, I run those like, accountable services, but, uh, other, other parts of the service, like, uh, leap one, which is a, uh, people first group for adults with learning disabilities and asking you, which is another sort of learning disability focused service, uh, better run by people in those teams. But, um, yeah, most of the social media work is done by myself. Um, we've had work hours, but. Now and again, you know, I'll check in, you know, see if uh, we've been tagged in a tweet or found a DM, you know, found a DM on Twitter or a message in our Facebook inbox. Or I also like to check, you know, um, things like, um, I also like to check analytics from time to time, you know, to see how things are performing. Mm. We need that feedback, don't you, to see what's working and it's kind of all you've got really. So what I'll, what I'll go into from there is if we talk about basically what's coming up and uh, if you can go through sort of how do people get in touch? How do people find out um, about Adfazet? Um, Ad... <laughs> how do people find out about all the companies? Advanet Group. Yeah, Advanet Group. What's coming up then? Um, our Spoken Project, which is for LGBTQ+, high plus autistic adults in Leeds. Um, these are self-advocacy workshops. They start on, uh, Wednesday, the 22nd of February, um, from 6 PM, to 7 PM, uh, to join, you must be an autistic adult who's in Leeds, who's also LGBTQI plus, um, and it's, uh, delivered by people from that community. Mm. Other than that, um, we have like usual sort of groups that are held every month. Um, so in our Leeds Autism main team, we have, um, two peer support groups every month. Um, I'm mm. leading on those at the moment. Uh, we have a monthly women aligned group, which is for, uh, autistic women and feminine aligned non-binary people. Mm. Uh, that's led by uh, one of my colleagues who's also autistic. Um, uh, there's also a co-production group that's run every month by myself. Uh, it's where we look at resources we've made or a part of lead autism means work and Mm. You know, we ask, you know, people in the group who are autistic, uh, for suggestions on how it can be made better. Um, you know, these are really useful for getting, they're really useful for getting feedback and making changes. Cause I think, mean, you know, if it's how, you know, more input we have from, you know, the people we work with, you know, the better, mm. um, 
I think that's it at the moment uh, that's coming up immediately. So how do people get in touch then? What are, if you can give us the website links, what are the socials? Is there a yeah. newsletter? Yeah. Uh, or any newsletters? Websites. Um, it's advonet.org.uk. So that's A-D-V-O-N-E-T.org.uk. That's the website. Uh, if you email us, you can email us at office at advonet.org.uk or if you prefer, uh, call our office on 0113-244-0606. Our Twitter handle is at advonetuk. Um, uh, you can find, uh, search for the Advanet Group on Facebook and you'll find us there. Uh, we'll also be Advanet Group on LinkedIn. Excellent. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, so what I will do, uh, are you okay to keep going? Sure. Sure. Okay, cool. Um, so I want to kind of do a bit more, um, sort of bring out more of what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. So the kind of things that you do and the kind of, um, yeah, I, I mean, what, it, what is your day-to-day like, basically? I would imagine it, it changes from day-to-day or maybe you've got a program of like Mondays is videos, Tuesdays is whatever, like what, what's your sort of day-to-day process? Um, it depends on what I was on work, what projects I'm working on that day, but, um, mm. tasks I do, I will, I will do every day is, um, check our socials, uh, first thing in the morning, see if we've had any, you know, if we've been retweeted or if it's something we've been tagged in or if it's something worth tweeting. Or, you know, posting on any of us, any of our socials, you know, I, I would also share something, you know, about what we're doing. So it could be like, could be about any upcoming training we'd, we're offering about how to make a referral or a link to any of the page of my website that might be useful. So one day it could be, you know, about our, uh, more of our advocacy services. Another day it could be about joining our mailing list. Um, other things I would do is, uh, log into the website and, you know, check uh, how many people viewed it in the previous 24 hours. If there's any sort of updates they need making to it. Mm. Um, you know, some of the days I would also look, you know, for information to put into our COVID-19 wiki, you know, through, um, you know, websites of the government's, uh, COVID website, anything from the mm. council or some of the, uh, third sector networks like, uh, forum central or bulge reaction leads, you know, if there's anything yeah. there that might be useful. When I'm on my aim hours, you know, I would, you know, I do the same with the aim socials. So I would with the Advanet group socials and deal with the website. Um, otherwise, you know, I go along with, you know, what work I believe needs to be done. Mm. There are some okay. days where I can just focus on one task, like make editing a video, but there, there are often days where, you know, I get, you know, a few last minute requests from, um, you know, service managers or, you know, the chief executive or. Uh, my line manager, who's part of the senior management team, mm. uh, to work on a resource. Or, but, um, do you like to have your day quite structured, or do you like it to be quite free? Do you like to sort of have have variety, or do you want it to be regular? Um, I would like at least some structure. You know, I'd like to know what I'm meant to be doing. What I'm, I'd like to know what I'm doing here in advance. But yeah, I do really set aside some time for sort of any sort of ad hoc stuff that needs doing. Um, but you know, if I've got anything, you know, that's need, needs to be done, like, you know, delivering training to, to colleagues or, 
working on a new lead flow or amending, amending bits on the website, you know, I, I plan, I try and try my best to plan that in advance. Mm. So, you know, somewhere in between. Yeah. When you're working on copy, is that all sort of self-generated or do you, are you working in line with sort of other people or you're getting a steer from one person or how, how are you working that? It depends on what I'm working on, but if it's mm. a specific service, like um, health complaints advocacy, I would, um, you know, ask the health complaints advocacy manager or someone else in that team, you know, what they'd like me to do and, mm. you know, the guidance and I produce something, send it back to them by email for feedback and they've got any changes they can make them or suggest that I make them and I'll make those, send it back to them. All right. It gets, it gets published. Yeah. Cool. Um, what else do I want to kind of cover? Um, yeah. So in terms of interactions with people sort of through the work, um, are you mainly interacting just with, with colleagues and with people within the organization? I suppose you get some contacts on socials and the website and stuff from some incoming stuff, but do you get to interact with service users? Um, I do interact with service users sometimes. It's more, more so in, in my aim role, mm. uh, when I'm running groups, um, or responding to queries about mm. how to join groups or, you know, around things like self-advocacy resources. Mm. Um, in the comms role, I only tend to interact with clients if we've got a focus group meeting coming up. Mm. Sometimes I'm in that, you know, wearing my comms hat, you know, say if it's a resource that, you know, we're looking for feedback on like, you know, the website or, or a service leaflet or, or a poster. Mm. So then, you know, I can make those notes and based on those notes, I can make those changes. You know, some, you know, a lot of, you know, all the time it's good to get feedback, good or bad, you know, where, where you're going right and where, you know, things can be made better and more accessible. Yeah. Well, otherwise you've just no idea and you, and you don't know if anyone even cares, do you? That's like, if no one tells you anything, it's like, well, no one would miss me if I wasn't doing it. You know, even sometimes just someone's telling you where you're going wrong. It's like, well, at least someone's paying attention. I would also like to get you to talk about, cause last time we spoke, um, so I, I was listening back and so tell me if I've got this wrong, but initially you had a diagnosis of Asperger's before they diagnosed you as autistic. Well, so my diagnosis is still Asperger's. It's not right. Um, at the time, uh, you know, if you're, you know, if you were seen as high functioning, which, you know, it's a quite an offensive label because, you know, there are always times when you're functioning and when you're not functioning, you know, when I was a kid, you know, it was Asperger's, but, uh, the diagnostic criteria for autism changed. So people were diagnosed, would have been diagnosed with Asperger's now get an autism, would now just get an autism diagnosis. So is it, well, it's, it's all come into one sort of umbrella? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, it, so is that more that they've just said that this is on a spectrum rather than, I mean, what have they changed there? Did they have a discrete separate kind of, this is Asperger's and this is autism? Um, not completely separate, but there were some differences. So. Mm. If you had an Asperger's diagnosis, you were seeing, you know, maybe being, maybe having, you know, you know fewer problems in, fewer problems in, you know, trying to, you know, lead a, a normal life. 
Um, but um, it's down to something called the Diagnostic Services Manual. Um, uh, but it's nice to do away from the Asperger to sort of get rid of the Asperger, eventually get rid of the Asperger's label. And, mm. uh, to some, the Asperger's label is quite offensive because it's connected to someone called Hans Asperger, who, mm. you know, few, two or three years ago was found, you know, actually, I think it was a bit longer than that. It's found to be, uh, have some sort of role in helping the Nazis. I, I just go, I go use the label Asperger's, I, or, you know, the colloquial uh, version Asperger. I just, just saying autistic, you know, it's simpler and mm. it's, and I've, you know, if I'd have been diagnosed today, it would be autism. You know? Yeah. And, and it seems, you know, even with, I mean, from the, from what I understand, which is not much, um, I like it was, so it's saw a thing where there was basically, there was a woman in the UK that they picked who had done a lot of work basically around her son and, and it got more autistic people together and said, this diagnosis of autism, it, it's wrong. This is not how autistic people are. So it seems like, I mean, obviously correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. It seems like really they're only understanding what autism really is in, in the last couple of decades. I mean, is that fair or have I got that completely wrong? Um. Didn't know about that story, to be honest. I probably should do, but um, you haven't got work for. But um, don't really know. To be honest, I mean, you know, being autistic affects you know people in different ways. Um, mm. You know, some of us you know find that we're perfectly fine with communicating uh, in the way others uh, non-verbal. You know, because uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, some are okay in like masking, which is where, you know, you're pretending to be, you're trying to hide the fact that you're autistic and others find masking mm. incredibly difficult. Um, mm. I personally struggle with masking, you know, I feel like I have to mask quite a lot. Mm. That's one of the main drawbacks of working in the role I'm in, you know? Yeah. Um, um, but you know, um, uh, sorry, I'm that's where I am. No, that's fine. Um, yes. so yeah, I, I, basically I just want to, I'm trying to get a bit more detail so that we can, yeah, I'm going to fill in some sort of blanks later. Um, what am I trying to say here now? I'm not sure I've got anything else. I mean, is there anything that you want to talk about in any kind of specific area anything that we've not covered um i suppose could talk more about my my experience as an autistic person you know early on mm. uh, i mean like, like as well maybe maybe if you covered your, your early experiences and then sort of it'd be quite nice for you to talk about how you interacted with aim and how i mean did you if I'm remembering this right, you, you came into contact with other autistic groups in Leeds through your contact with AIM and AIM being set up. Is that right? Uh, yeah, well, it's actually through, uh, the group I was chairing. Oh yeah. Leeds yeah. Asperger Reynolds. Um, actually first went to them kind of around 2009. Um, but so did you talking. set that, did you set that group up? No, no, I didn't. It was already set up. It was actually 
founded by uh, the uh, partner of an autistic adult in Otley. Mm-hmm. Um, they both they, they had autistic children. It was back that back when I first started going, it was kind of, there was like very little autistic input into how it was led, how it was mm. put on They basically did what, uh, you know, what they want, what, um, not the husband, you know, what husband and wife pairing wanted rather than, mm. you know, the regulars who went to the group. Um, but when I got involved with it again, you know, the people who founded it left and, um, you know, it became a bit more autistic led. Through that, you know, I was able to meet other autistic people, you know, mm. I felt less isolated that way. And, you know, was, that, that, was that the first time as well? Was that the first time you'd been able to have those interactions? With other autistic people? Yeah. Um, no, I'd had interactions in other ways. You know, I'd got, I'd got things like, uh, you know, got with events like, uh, you know, book fairs. And yeah. Says, um, you know, I'd met people through that. And, also met forums or in Facebook groups. Um, it wasn't actually until, you know, not long after I'd finished, I graduated from uni when I was really, 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 uh, angry about not being able to get into any kind of paid work that, you know, I, you know, I twigged that maybe a reason I wasn't getting any kind of job, any, any job offers was because I was autistic. Yeah. And, you know, I'd found some forums and I found out what well, other people had the same problem and you know, over time, you know, I'd make friends, you know, digital, you know, sort of online and, you know, meet some of them in person. And mm. some of the friends that people have met that way over through like autistic people's autistic forums and groups, you know, they're still in contact with them today. Yeah. So, yeah. So you didn't meet through the groups, but sort of coming into that, uh, coming back into the groups that day at the Asperger's group, um, that I mean, it sounds like that was kind of well. I mean, obviously, it was key because of your involvement in that. You then got these other roles, but that seems like it was a key part. I mean, it sounded as well like you were sort of quite instrumental in setting up AIM. Is that fair or um, to some extent? But we were a group that was involved in setting it up. So yeah. Wendy uh, Cork, who's my line manager and currently at the Abnet Group's Director of Inclusion Projects, mm. um, she actually approached me at an event I went to called Altscape in 2013 and mm-hmm. told me about this service would become AIM. I'd met her again, I'd meet her again like the following year at um, an event in Manchester called The Autism Show, which mm-hmm. had just like loads of stalls and talks and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, she got in touch with me by email and told me about this, uh, sort of planning meeting frame. And, uh, I went to that and thought, you know, I'm getting involved with this. Mm. Um, you know, it was me, there was, um, uh, one, uh, another one of my colleagues who's uh, still working with AIM to this day, you know, she started as a paid member of staff the same, at the same time I did. Mm. Uh, there's uh, someone who was, a someone else was a volunteer who's now working with I think she's working with Autism East Midlands. And then there's, um, uh, one of my friends, uh, Jonathan, who's, um, still a member of AIM steering group and did, you know, some training, some of the autism awareness training for, uh, our volunteer mentors, you know, um, I actually first met him through Leeds Asperger Reynolds and, you know, we've been friends for ages, you know, mm. and he might be a good person to interview for your, uh, podcast. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> he works for the British Library and he's been there for years. Thank you again to Luke for being my guest. Thanks again to all my guests and thanks to Leeds for being my subject. And thanks most of all to you for listening. So I have some news. I'm going to start using these outros to reflect on work and to give you some background on the project. I'm still going to be verbose and mercurial on here because that's how I am. But I want this podcast to be and feel professional in scare quotes. Firstly, in case you haven't noticed, I don't really talk about my guests. That will continue, I think, because I don't know my guests for the most part. And I want them, or you, if you choose to be a guest, to speak for themselves. That's the whole point of this thing in the first place. But I know that what I say on the show could be taken by some as a reflection or comment on my guests. Secondly, I do want to protect my guests as much as I possibly can. And it's actually a serious consideration because I don't want harm to come to anyone unless they hold huge amounts of power, but we're not talking about that here, Simon. But in all seriousness, we do live in a ridiculous time where people's lives can be ruined by the internet, and I don't take that lightly. My guests should feel as free as possible to say whatever they know and feel about their own work experience and be able to be honest and open with me. I know there are limits to that, and some of those I respect and I think are reasonable, while others, like the mass proliferation of NDAs just shows the weakness of individuals needing income and the disproportionate power of businesses to take over parts of our lives and take our decisions for us. I don't feel safe or comfortable saying whatever I want here and this is my own show. So what does that tell us about the sort of world we live in? No wonder it's so hard to find guests for the show. So that brings me on to the third point, professionalism. What's professionalism, Precious? Well, I'm getting the sense that being professional is kind of like the opposite of the idea of normal. That is, nobody knows what professional is, but everyone thinks they're it. Swearing is a great example. I don't like workplaces where you can't swear, especially if you are doing something stressful. Obviously not in front of customers, but even there, some would think nothing of doing that. So professional is an elastic term. But I don't want to scare people off from being on the show. I don't want to seem too office professional and give off boss vibes and scare off ordinary people. And I don't want to be too scruffy and uncouth that I put off owners. I want to give my listeners a sense of what's happening day to day in Leeds in 2022. I want listeners to know how much is happening and how varied that is. I want you, my listeners, to know what we are doing at this point in time. Are we doing what is necessary? Are we using our calories and time on the right things? Are we helping? Are we doing harm? Can we even worry about that? Or is reflecting on what we have wrought a path to despair, sloth and ruin? Sorry. So, yes, professional. So, working hours is a whole thing and each episode is only a part of the whole picture. It's conceived to be a thousand interviews. These intros weren't even supposed to exist. They weren't planned. Uh, originally I just wanted to drop the listener into a conversation and then give them basically nothing else to work with. I wanted to really play up that eavesdropping feeling of podcasts. I wanted you to feel like you'd just overheard something mildly interesting that you then got drawn into. Forces, my cowardice, I suppose, being first among them, compelled the project in another direction. But it is its own thing and I need to respect it. Life expectancy continues to fall, standards of living go down and house prices go up. Such is late-stage capitalism. But the workplace is not for honesty, is it? The workplace, and this is my workplace, is for discipline, toil, innovation, gossip, and a whole load of other things. Other shows are telling you things you already know, and for most of us, that's something we're 
grateful for. Confirmation bias helps us know how smart we are. It's why we consume the news that we do, the news that we agree or even disagree with. And it's part of the reason why I don't consume the so-called news. But this show is telling me things that I don't know, and I really like that. And I know there are some people who will also like that. And I just have to have the faith that I can find those people, however small in number they are. And I need to resist the temptation to be a mercurial clown because I'm frustrated. I'm still at work, even if my boss is the coolest guy ever. So, to recap, my guests speak for themselves. I want to provide a good experience for guests. It's not appropriate for me to be totally inconsistent with my intros and outros. This is all my fault, but I do have obligations. Conclusion. I will try to operate on the keep it brief side. If you do like listening to my rambles, there will be new, more appropriate, less in this podcast places for me to do that. If you want to know more about that, then come and join me on the Patreon. Other than that, please come back next week for my guest, Paul Thomas, who is a civil servant, and there will be different, more even-keeled intro and outro to that show, and that should continue going forward. They might just become really basic, but it's all about the interview. That's the show, the interview. It's Leeds, it's you. You're the show. If you're listening to this, I assume you have some connection to Leeds, like living here or being from here. If you're such a person in Leeds or from Leeds and you haven't done your recording for working hours yet, then don't wait. Email me right now. Right now. Quick, get a pen. Workinghourspod at western-studios.com Let's arrange some time for us to record your working hours interview. If you fancy being my guest, put guest in the subject of your email and add a short bio and some suggestions of your availability. If you want to be on working hours, we will need a two-hour window in which to record. I can record in your work time or during your downtime. I have been recording interviews over Zoom for over a year, but I can record offline too. You can appear on working hours anonymously, or you can promote yourself and or your company or your brand. Cleaner or owner, what is your experience? How do you feel about work? What do you like and not like? What do you do, Leeds? Be a part of local history, have your voice heard, share your wisdom. Give us the inside skinny. This is your show, Leeds. It's all about what you make of yourself. Do you know what you're doing? If you do, then come and tell me about it. Come on, even if you don't. Email me right now. Get that pen. WorkingHoursPod at western-studios.com If you're allowed to, that is. If you're not allowed to, then tell me why not. If you and your business aren't ashamed of what you do, then let's hear about it. What good are you doing the rest of us? Are you socially useful? Am I? Is this? Email me right now. Get that pen. WorkingHoursPod at western-studios.com Send me feedback, questions, comments and queries about working hours. What is happening, Leeds? Follow this show on Twitter at WorkingHours3 and on Instagram at WorkingHoursPodLeads to find out when episodes are being released or use the hashtag WorkingHoursPod to find me on either. Um, I'm also on Facebook, but I hate it there. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Simon hyphen Treen. Or you can go to my company page, which is uh, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Western hyphen studios. If you want to make a podcast in Leeds, whether it's for a cause, a publicity campaign, a product promotion and or your passion projects, then get in touch with Western Studios for support, advice and guidance on anything podcasts. At Western Studios, you can work with a real lawyer who is actually in Leeds that you can actually work with on making podcast content. So don't wade through articles and videos and podcasts about how to make podcasts. Western Studios can just make your podcast with you 
or even for you. Western Studios can take on your podcast. Admin, recording, editing, transcription, whatever. Tell me about it. I really want to hear from other failed screenwriters such as myself to look at making your material as audio content. So if you have an old script hanging around, and again, you are Leeds-based, then get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Ditto to performers and actors who might be interested in doing voice work. Got an inkling that you'd like a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Then hit me up at makemypodcast at western-studios.com and we'll start making your podcast. The first hour of consultation and pre-production will be free for you, so get in touch and let's have a chat. Save the hassle, save the headache, and make your podcast with a Leeds-based, in-real-life podcast producer, me, at Western Studios Leeds. Once again, please let Working Hours get big and strong by joining its Patreon. Support Working Hours by becoming a champion on Patreon for a pound a month. You can also chat to me about the show, and God, do I need to find someone to talk to about this. Go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod right now and sign up. Please remember to like, share, follow and subscribe to this show. Every little bit helps. Tell your gran, tell your housekeeper, tell your gardener, tell your parole officer, tell your boss, tell Leeds and I'll see thee next time. Working Hours is presented, edited and recorded by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org.